Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderveld, your host today. Okay, so welcome everybody. My name is Jackie Vanderveld and I'm delighted to be hosting this session, this VPC live session for the Victorian Parents Council. And uh, we have uh, a, a wonderful guest. It's not really you feel like family now, Glenn. We've had you <laughs> we've we've had you had you in the uh, on the VPC live and podcasts and blogs and all sorts of things um, over the last few years. Uh, so we're welcoming Glenn Melvin. He's a clinical psychologist and an associate professor at the School of Psychology at Deakin University. And he's an honorary associate professor at the Centre for Educational Development Appraisal and Research at the University of Warwick in the UK. He is interested in improving understanding around school non-attendance and how best to support families with kids, teens who struggle to get to school. He's a practicing psychologist and president of the International Network for School Attendance. And so, Glenn, this is a huge issue. And I know we've spoken about this in the past. Yeah. Um, but I think that uh, what we're certainly seeing with uh, post COVID or during COVID and post COVID is a, um, is a real increase in uh, concerns parents have and the challenges that they're facing. So, um, it's it's really timely to have you back, and I know that we'll be talking a little bit about some research that you're doing as well that people mm-hmm. can get involved in. Um, but before we hand over to Glenn, uh, everyone, if you've got questions, uh, we we do have your questions that you did send in to us as well. If you did that as part of your rego, uh, however, if you would like to ask a question about anything that Glenn raises tonight. Uh, then please use the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen and we will triage those uh, towards the end of this end of uh, Glenn's presentation. So, Glenn, handing over to you. Thanks so much, Jackie. Uh, thanks for inviting me um, to speak. Um, and uh, thank you um, to all you at home um, for, for joining us. So I've got a bit of a, a presentation um, to guide us along today. So let's sort of get going. I guess the first thing to sort of say around school um, non-attendance is that there's often a, a number of sort of factors that uh, uh, can tend to sort of underlie why kids aren't at school. It can be illness, there can be anxiety, there can be not feeling connected um, to school, or safe at school, it can be academic problems. Uh, it can be um, if things are sort of uh, not going so well at home, um, that can also impact upon kids' ability to get to school. Trouble sleeping, uh, you, you sort of get the point. There's there's uh, uh, a wide range of, of factors, um, I think, need to be sort of acknowledged that determine um, whether a kid um, can get along to school. So though tonight um, we're going to be talking about kids um, who have difficulty getting along to school. Um, they might appear as being very sort of reluctant sort of in, in, this, in the morning, um, very sort of resistant to the idea of going to school. They might be slow to get out of bed um, in, in the morning. Um, they might hear lots of protests about having to go. I don't like it. I hate it. Uh, might be outbursts and tantrums. You thought, gee, it's you know, a while since I've seen this type 
type of behavior. I saw this when they were two, but gosh, I didn't seem to uh, uh, predict it sort of coming when they were seven. So we can see these types of behaviors and or illness complaints. I've got a stomachache, I'm a headache, I can't go uh, to school. These are all sort of signs of some sort of challenge um, there. Poor sleep is another um, marker there. And especially sort of Sunday nights is perhaps anxiety might be rising about getting along to school. For some kids, uh, they're reluctant, and um, but they get along to school. They've got perhaps the capacity or, or um, uh, the support, coping, uh, whatever it is they need, they, they, they get there. And I guess we see this sort of reluctance as a, a pretty common experience from most kids at some point in their schooling sort of careers that they're going to sort of get this. But for others, we see a higher level of uh, um, difficulty sort of attending and uh, attendance uh, uh, can be impact. And we we see this occurring in the context of emotional upset that's connected with getting along to school. So this is often in the form of anxiety, uh, very fearful, scared uh, um, type responses. And sometimes for teens, we can also see more sadness or hopelessness. It's just all too hard. I give up. And there. So in this situation, kids often staying at home and with their parents' knowledge. And the kids who are, uh, present sort of like this, usually, you know, they're not being naughty. Um, they're not um, arcing up um, just for the sake of it or, or, or there's something's going on there. There's been a real block and it's, it's, um, it's very hard, if not too hard, to be able to manage with. And we see parents are trying to get them out the door and, and cajole them, make deals, you've got to go uh, um, and really sort of trying to sort of uh, um, get them along. And um, this sort of um, phenomenon has uh, been called um, school refusal. But um, from the outset, uh, I want to acknowledge um, that uh, this term isn't universally liked. And uh, as I understand it, um, it's not liked because um, there's the idea that um, there's blame um, for the young person in not engaging in a behaviour, that is, attending school, an environment that may not be supportive or safe or adapted to their needs. Or another situation, trying to force someone to go to a situation where they've not got the coping skills to be able to manage with those, those very strong emotional um, responses. So, you know, one might argue in, in particularly in situations where um, there's concerns about one's safety at school, is uh, non-attendance a rational and safe choice? So there are a number of um, alternative um, terms um, that are being used. Now, I think we're uh, in a little bit of um, flux at the moment in terms of uh, uh, the best term. We certainly had um, feedback that um, some people are, are preferring school can't, and uh, which I think acknowledges that if the young person could, they would go to school. Now, in America, we're seeing the emergence of school avoidance um, as a, a preferred term. So I think uh, we need to um, uh, come up with a, a universally agreed upon sort of term there. And speaking of terms, um, well, we did some work to, to um, uh, look at, well, when did we first understand um, and, and spot the phenomenon, this phenomenon of, uh, you know, emotional uh, responses um, not uh, or impacting upon ability to go to school? And, and we saw that track back to 1932 is uh, when we sort of first found it, it described 
drive. So this isn't something that's new. Certainly we believe it's uh, um, gotten sort of perhaps worse or more common um, since the pandemic, but certainly was around um, before then. So it brings me to that question of how common is this sort of phenomenon? And the answer is we don't really know. We don't have good data in Australia or really anywhere else on, on how common it is. So I can't put a precise sort of figure on that um, at the moment. The other question I'm, I'm uh, often asked is, well, you know, my, my son or daughter has is, is, um, um, missed some school and, and uh, having some trouble with it. Well, wh when should I become concerned about it? a day here or there that they're refusing or, or aren't able to get there. You know, and we're starting to see this sort of level of 10% um, seem to be um, one that uh, um, schools, departments of education are using um, to say, hey, we need to uh, understand perhaps what's happening here. Another way of thinking about it, though, is separate to the numbers is, well, is uh, how's the absence impacting upon young person's sort of friendships um, um, there. How is it going with their academic work? Because we know if we're missing our tuition, missing our learning sort of opportunities, um, that has a, a, an impact and can obviously make it harder to get along to school as well. And is it impacting upon family life? And I guess uh, from my career work with a number of families where parents are giving up on um, work um, to stay home to support uh, um, their education uh, of their child. Since the pandemic, um, we have seen a lot of interest, and, and some of you might be uh, aware that the Senate uh, and the federal government recently released a report uh, on school refusal. They did a um, fairly sizable investigation and got a lot of comment from uh, stakeholders from around Australia, from principals associations to well, a lot of parents uh, really expressed their voice, which was great to see. And this has uh, given us a lot of attraction, uh, I think, for, for the uh, in the press, a number of news stories you might have seen around Australia. So how do we understand this sort of uh, um, phenomenon? What, what do we know about sort of what might be causing it? And I think early on and, you know, before the term school refusal was the term school phobia, and it was all about um, the young person, the child or, or teen, and, and they've got sort of a, a problem. And I think now we've got more sophisticated ways of understanding it, understanding that school attendance happens within systems and within family systems and school systems and the interaction between those systems and there. So I guess from uh, the research that's sort of been done on this, um, for the child and teen, we see high levels of mental health um, concerns, particularly anxiety and depression. And not all kids and teens, though, who aren't able to make it to school in this sort of context uh, have a mental health um, problem. We hear from those teens that they have difficulty getting along with peers, and that can be a challenge. And some work I've done recently has shown very high levels of uh, autistic children and, and teens and neurodiverse students and experiencing um, this issue. Challenges with schoolwork, real conflicts with teachers or fear of teachers, getting scared of teachers can also keep some kids away from school or difficulties and fears in the school sort of environment, um, I guess managing with the rough and tumble um, that we see um, in the schoolyard, or other feelings of being unsupported and not having needs sort of met um, at school. From parents um, in this sort of situation, we see uh, reports of stress and anxiety, and, you know, that's not 
perhaps terribly surprising. If you know, kids are having a really tough time for things, that is obviously going to impact upon parents. And parents often feel, you know, that they feel they could be doing better with their parenting and feel also potentially sort of judged or, or shame around this, which is really unfortunate. And I think, you know, this isn't something to be ashamed about. It's, uh, it's a very difficult and challenging situation in, in many families. Also aware that there's school factors and uh, a colleague of mine did some work talking to young people about their experience of school and what they sort of noted and they talked about was particularly difficult in noisy and unpredictable classrooms. So classroom management um, was, was implicated. And of course, bullying. This is often what I've sort of observed as well as being the precipitant or, you know, what is, is involved in the onset. Why now? Why is this young person having such difficulty getting on to school now? And there's a, a bullying sort of going on. You know, and it sort of makes sense. Who would want to go to a place where they're bullied? I wouldn't want to go to my work if I was bullied at work. So I, I think we need a, a real compassion there. Engaging curriculum as well, I think, can spur on and uh, connect um, some uh, kids to their schoolwork. Another one that's a bit of a jargony term, but the school climate. So it's kind of the feel of the school, whether it's a warm and inviting, welcoming sort of environment. Next one I think is particularly important as, as well as we start to see, perhaps we're at the start of seeing broader educational options sort of available, is thinking about the fit and you know, making sure uh, kids and teens have the right sort of uh, um, space um, and uh, educational sort of environment. And we also see broader in the community what, what's the value placed on attendance as impacting upon kids' sort of attendance. So let's talk now about what parents can do. Because I, I think there is a lot that parents can do sort of in, in this sort of um, situation. First step, I think, is to investigate. And I think this related to a number of the questions that sort of were sent through. Uh, sometimes it seems like it's a bit of a mystery as to why, what's what's going on. Um, so we need to do our investigation. I'll unpack each of these. And then we need to prepare for what's the next step of uh, the child, teens, um, education. And then we need to put that sort of response, so action, um, into place. And, and this, you know, may not be something we just go through once. It might be that we get something going and then, oh, it, it hasn't worked or it's not working as we'd hoped. So we have to go back and sort of investigate again. So let's unpack the investigation um, a little bit. So sometimes we're faced with this sort of situation where there's a bit of an iceberg, if you like, and the bit of the iceberg is the non-attendance, not getting um, to school. There's been a day or days off school. And the bit that's submerged is the range of factors uh, that might be sort of underlying and the non-attendance. And I guess a point to some of these things I've already sort of spoken about on, on recent sort of slides, what's hidden? And it might be one or more of these that's contributing to that sort of difficulty getting along to school. And sometimes kids have difficulty sort of expressing what this is or a hard time putting into words. It might be something that perhaps they can draw um, or find another way sort of, of, of expressing. As well as listening to young people, we can approach school staff. Have they noticed anything at school um, recently? Have there been changes in friendship? Has there been anyone giving them a hard time? Are they struggling with the work? As well as that, we might want to draw upon uh, some support from a health professional who might be able to chat 
with the child, maybe sometimes someone independent or separate from the family, maybe a GP to start with, or uh, could be pediatrician or uh, psychologist, social worker in that sort of realm, might also be able to provide an opinion about what might be sort of happening. So we have to be a little bit a detective. And sometimes, you know, it's hard. We need to be a little bit patient. It can take you know, people time to sort of uh, um, feel comfortable sort of expressing things. They might be ashamed and embarrassed about what's sort of going on and might feel very trapped or, or caught. So I think during this sort of time, it's very important to, to keep in touch um, with school staff and they're about what might be happening and, oh, gee, had another Monday off today, what, you know, might be sort of behind that. I think as parents, also, we have the responsibility to determine as best we can the safety of a school situation and that uh, bullying um, has been dealt with and, and responded to. Um, all schools are obliged to have an anti-bullying policy and an approach. So that should be something they have a method of addressing. The other thing that I find sometimes gets a little bit missed amongst this sort of um, situation is, is understanding why the young person might want to go to school. Maybe there's some emerging friendships or some good friends there. There might be activities there or they might like to be focused in, in perhaps latter years on, on their education and, and next steps. It can be useful to sort of just speculate, well, if school was a place you wanted to go, what would it look like? How would that be? You know, what would be different to now? So it's sort of trying to get at that information about, well, what's the barrier? What's getting in the way? Or if you had a magic wand and you could change three things about school, what would you change? And understanding those three things that are said might give you some insight into, oh, gee, that's what they might be worried about. That might be what's uh, um, stressful. Okay, so next step, once we have an understanding um, um, there, we need to think about, okay, well, um, we've got a sense of those barriers or those challenges. Where are we going with education um, and there? And I think that's, uh, you know, for many, that'll be back to the same school. For others, it'll be a change to another school and or for some, um, change to a different sort of setting or pathway for, for their education. I think there's a couple of questions there about changing school. How do you know? Look, I think it's um, difficult. No one's got a crystal ball to know whether a move to the next school is uh, is going to be best. But I think part of it is about sort of understanding well, what's going to be different at that school. It provides a fresh start, but I guess if a child is uh, anxious at one school and that anxiety, haven't got ways of coping with that anxiety, they're probably going to be anxious at the next school um, and there. So we can't forget that we need to still address those factors or those I issues that are underlying um, and there, particularly in terms of changing schools. Then I think in other preparation sort of step um, is about, well, if the young person, the child team is really struggling with feeling anxious uh, at school, you know, and that's sort of behind them not going, they're going to need some ways of managing with that anxiety before they're going to perhaps be able to approach um, um, getting back into school. Or if they're feeling very disconnected or they've been sort of marginalised from some peers, um, some efforts to perhaps reconnect with peers. So they're feeling more comfortable and safe to go back 
to school. So that support, you know, it's not something obviously that's all on parents' shoulders and there, but this is where we can see um, support from school wellbeing staff or external professionals uh, valuable in providing ways of sort of managing um, with anxiety, uh, looking at uh, different uh, learning support um, um, that might be required. So speaking of which, um, advocating for any adjustments that might be needed um, in the school, making sure that everyone's got up-to-date information, perhaps around physical health that might have been a barrier, and again, emphasising again um, that that response for bullying is, is being managed. Then if um, school return is planned, that's the pathway that's chosen um, in, in your family. Um, and, and there, I think it's about developing some sort of plan for what that's going to look like to get back into school or to improve attendance if there is still some attendance sort of happening. So this plan, I think with these plans, generally the more detail, the better. Um, how much school is expected um, each day? Uh, what's going to happen um, at those? And I usually, uh, particularly with teens I'm working with, I'm guided by them. What subjects should we start with? You know, where would you like to begin? Put, put them in the driver's seat to um, sort of take charge with what they're comfortable with. And then we look to think about well, how will you increase attendance? And that's often a gradual sort of thing. And I think also it's very important to think about well, what are people's roles? What uh, the school staff role? Maybe in a primary level, it's having someone to meet the child at the gate or the office while they're sort of settling back in. What's parents' role? And with teens, I do a lot of work sort of talking about, well, what's the morning going to look like? Um, you know, who's, is mum's job to knock on the door and, and uh, wake you up or you got an alarm clock? You know, what's, what's everyone's role um, there? What the child or teen's jobs as well on a morning um, getting ready for school? I think plans often need adjustment uh, and sometimes they're too ambitious. It's too much. Um, or sometimes we learn, oh, gee, not quite prepared enough in this area or that area when we sort of make a start. So we need to roll with these. We need to roll with these. I'm like, okay, we didn't have a win today. We're going to try again tomorrow with X, Y, Z. There is, is what's going to be different there. So we need to have that sort of in mind. It's rarely this sort of very straight sort of process. You know, there's ups and downs sort of along, along the way. If homeschooling or distance learning uh, is decided upon, I think very important for parents um, to understand their role and their responsibility. I know in Victoria, where I am, the Virtual School Victoria, so the, the state's distance learning program, parents are charged with the responsibility of supervising um, the schoolwork. So they wear two hats. They've got a parent hat and a, a supervising schoolwork hat. Consider resources that are required to support that learning. And as much as school is about the ABCs and the one, two, threes, uh, I think sort of school is also about, you know, group work and connecting with others, learning to um, manage with, with other people. So we need to think if we're going sort of that route, thinking about, well, how can we support um, social connection and development of those um, social sort of skills? Whereas um, we're in a situation where there may not be as many sort of opportunities as in bricks and mortar school. And then other parts are responding, thinking about how best to make a calm morning. Do we need to think about a study space for, for getting um, work done sort of at home? 
how can we res- uh, support um, the school return um, plan and keeping up with that com- uh, um, communication um, with the other sort of educational and support sort of uh, um, professionals um, who might be sort of involved there. The other thing I wanted to draw your attention to some parent guidelines that I've uh, helped develop with some colleagues at uh, Monash University um, and University of Melbourne, where we tried to gather everything we could find on what parents should do. And then we got together a, a panel of experts that included some parents. Uh, we had uh, researchers who worked in Syria and a lot of um, health professional and education professionals. And we asked them what's good and what's rubbish. And things that this panel agreed upon uh, at 90%, so it had to get 90% from those 20-odd involved, it was 90% agreement that went into those guidelines. So that's how we've developed those guidelines. And I think we'd be able to sort of share the link with you all for those if you'd like to sort of take a look. Okay. Another um, question I was asked in the chat there was support from school. What what can we ask for? Now, I, I think in my sort of experience as, a, as a, uh, a professional, I guess, working often with schools, I find there's often a lot that uh, schools can do there. I know perhaps the experience I have might be different to um, some parents' sort of experience of asking for things from school. So, uh, But I think don't be afraid to sort of ask for temporary reduced workloads because I think, you know, half days are better than no days if you're sort of looking um, to get back into school, reduce timetable, just let's take homework off the table there. Can we have no homework? So the job is just to get to school in, in a temporary sort of way or exemption from situations that are currently overwhelming. So we can get to school, but oral presentations or being called on in class, not right yet, Okay. Uh, schools often can accommodate uh, um, these uh, requests. At the primary level, I've sort of already mentioned, having someone meet the child, help them settle, perhaps come into the classroom earlier than others, these sorts of things. Support with sort of the social sort of side of things, connecting or reconnecting sort of with the other kids. Sometimes lunch times are the most anxiety provoking and times because it's less sort of structured. And again, at the primary level, some sort of privilege or or, or responsibility or monitor type role um, for the teacher um, can be uh, something that can be organised and might end up being a a reason for attending school. As I said, you know, I've heard perhaps mixed things from parents when they've asked for uh, adjustments and so forth. So I think if you've tried and tried and, and not had uh, uh, the response um, that you're after, and certainly for, for public schools, you can escalate your concerns to what's called, in, in Victoria at least, a regional level. Uh, the Department of Education has regional offices where they have staff who are responsible sort of for attendance and they can help sort things out and see that sort of uh, uh, necessary sort of adjustments are made. So there's some sort of ideas. So we've recently had a Senate inquiry, as I mentioned earlier, and I just thought I'd go through some of the recommendations that have come through from that. I thought my view was it was a pretty good report. I think they've listened. I can hear the various sort of voices um, of those who were involved in, in that inquiry within the report. So this is a, a report with recommendations. So I just should say, to my knowledge, I don't know if any of this has been actioned yet, but this is what has been recommended, that we need a nationally agreed upon definition and probably term for this, what's called school refusal. 
We need to promote awareness within the health sector. I think we need to train health professionals and educators about what this is and what it isn't and how best they can sort of respond. We need to perhaps update how we're promoting and messaging resources for parents as well. And I would also say students too. I think we need to provide them support. So I added that in. As well as that, there are a lot of messages around the need to pick up early on developmental and child health problems. And I think that really brings home an important sort of point of seeking support early and there. If something doesn't feel quite right or not having perhaps the success you might have hoped, asking um, some questions and, and perhaps seeking assistance early just to get things sort of checked out and understand what those barriers or, or challenges sort of might be. So early identification of uh, students who might be sort of at risk there came through. Also, the Senate inquiry said, well, we, we need more flexible sort of education options. I think we're starting to see that, but I don't think by any stretch we're there yet. I think we need to do more for more in providing quality education programs that meet the needs of, uh, of a greater proportion of our students, if not all. It doesn't seem like too much to ask, does it? And uh, the other part that was pleasing to see sort of came through is uh, um, for education to look at how they can connect with families as well. And then building this capacity, like we've talked about um, here, to provide those sort of adjustments in schools as well. And we need to sort of, I think, knit together how education works with this issue and also health as well. And we need to provide more information um, for families um, and, and schools about all sort of attendance sort of um, challenges and educational, I think, pathways. And as well as that, it was good to see sort of uh, the Senate sort of uh, acknowledge the importance of and support for parents and from other parents, I think, who have the, the expertise. And more mental health support was another um, message. So there's just a, a bit of a snapshot of uh, um, some of the issues and recommendations um, that came out of the Senate inquiry. And so I'm starting to draw towards a close, but I think a very important sort of couple of final sort of messages. And, and this one is around self-care. And I sort of started early on sort of acknowledging this. This is a very stressful situation for many parents who have a child or teens who are struggling with their schooling and, and attendance. So I think it's very important for parents to, to make time. And it's, it's often a challenge with all juggling lots of things to make time for your own sort of well-being um, there. And I think that is part of being a great model example um, to your child and teen about how we need to look after ourselves. I think for many parents, it's a value to connect with other parents. I know many parents I've seen think they're the only one and they're not um, by any stretch. And connecting with others and learning from other parents has uh, uh, been sort of powerful sort of experience. I think we need to also think about siblings and care for their needs as well um, in the mix. And uh, look, I'm often sort of encouraging parents to get their own assistance and think about their own sort of self-care, whatever that might be, whether that's professional or informal. So I, I just want to sort of acknowledge that. 
And um, the last message, I know uh, for, for many parents, I feel like, you know, there are no more options and, and you know, this is just uh, quite sort of overwhelming. So I, I know it's hard to hang on to some hope, but I, I think this is uh, something we need to share, some hope that, that there are sort of options and there are things um, that, that can be done to support young people and their, their school attendance and, and their education. So I just want to try and uh, finish on on. On that note, and uh, I'm really thankful for your attention there. And I think we're going to now go to some questions from Jackie. Yes, yes, we are. And can I just uh, say thank you. Thank you so much, Glenn. And this is actually a truly national audience tonight. We're not... We're not just a Victorian-based event. Yeah. We've got people from all over. So yeah. Um, yeah. thank you. And in, in the, issue, the, the issues and the challenges are the same wherever, wherever you are. So you have incredibly, as I would always expect because you're a, a consummate professional, you've actually answered most of the questions that were actually okay. filed through. Okay. But we do have some interesting ones that have popped up during your mm-hmm. presentation. Mm-hmm. Yep. The first one is how best do we support siblings who continue siblings. to yeah. school while the other sibling is challenged with this school can't or, or not yeah. get to school? Yeah. Yeah. Look, this is, uh, I'm glad this question's asked because I, I guess I've, I've seen this quite a bit, but she's not going to school. Why do I have to go to school? You know, you know, it's no fun for me either. So I think part of the issue is providing some sort of explanation that sort of fits with the child or teen's level about that brother, sister, sibling is uh, having difficulties with sort of getting along to school. It's sort of developmentally appropriate. You don't have to go all the details. They're having some uh, challenges with getting along to school. I think and acknowledge that it's different and it might seem unfair that you have to get up and go each morning. And so I I think it's sort of worth sort of um, calling that out, that is different there, but, and that the, their sibling is getting support and, and getting onto it to find a way forward for, for their education. So things are sort of happening and, and there's support and it's not just, they've got a free pass. You know, that's not what's happening here, that they've just, you know, we're just like, oh, they can do whatever they want, eat ice cream and play video games all day. It's it's not not the case. So, and then I, I think the other message is that kids need different supports for different needs. And it might be that, remember when you had your broken leg, you needed some crutches, but your sibling didn't because <laughs> they didn't have a broken leg. So, and that's a bit of a clumsy analogy, but uh, so sort of acknowledging that uh, uh, kids need their own supports for their own sort of challenges. And there's support coming here for your sibling um, with this. And I know it seems unfair. I think parents should, you know, check in regularly with the siblings and acknowledge that because I, I have seen quite a bit that, oh, they're not going, I'm not going, sort of uh, are there. And I think for, for parents online tonight, we certainly hear of families that have all sorts of mixes of schooling going on. So yes, we've got yes. them across all sectors. So yep. uh, mm-hmm. Public, non-government, and and yep. Catholic homeschooling, yes. homeschooling, yeah, uh, distance Great. education, all yeah. happening within one family. So, yeah, you find the mix that works the best for your family and for your individual that's, children. Yeah, that's right. And I guess it's that you know providing the right support, the right educational option, the right match for, for the child. 
um, um, yeah, and explaining that to the siblings. They've got a different match that works for them. Exactly. Uh, I love how you said uh, hope and, and self-care for parents. I think yeah. that, that's a critical thing. I, um, when I yeah. was one of one of my roles is is working in parent engagement, and I I do come across a number of parents who just feel such terrible shame and guilt. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's it's not about nobody views it no. that. You know, no. not your fault, and we're really tr- people are really genuinely wanting to support you and 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 the way you're supporting your child. So yeah. I think that self care and and hope is a really important message. Mm. Okay, so here we go. They have the school can't in yep. grade okay. yep. six. What are some of the tips that can help with transition to high school or secondary mm-hmm. school to hopefully yep. increase their attendance? Yeah. I was talking to a school just last week about this, and I think it's about starting transition early. And uh, this school I was, I was speaking to was was doing sort of exactly that, getting in early, sort of identifying their kids from their schools where they it was at sort of at the secondary level, I should say. So they were working with the primary schools um, that fed into their school and getting those kids in early. So it might be about approaching that school and saying, you know, could we? come in for like a tour or could we meet someone from the wellbeing team early so there's more time to adjust and maybe it's also about going to the school you know see if there's someone from the wellbeing team you can meet just after the the final bell you know so it's a quieter time sort of within in the school so I think it's about that adjustment planning and talking with primary um, staff about their advice as well, because they know um, your child and thinking about um, what might be the biggest sort of barriers. Is it going to be friendships? Is it going to be keeping on top of the work? And it might be about going, well, you know, can we have some easier way of sort of stepping into high school in terms of perhaps uh, time to sort of chill out sort of in the morning? Or is it about having less homework there? So starting early, start now (laughs) for next year. And while schools do have programs for transition, it's okay to ask for more. Yes, yeah, yeah, go ask. More assistance, more time, please do that. Absolutely. Mm. So we've got a question here. Any tips on explaining school can't in family court? I think I would maybe provide the Senate report, which can be downloaded. I'd want to provide perhaps some links to education for the magistrate or whoever's uh, in the court. And I guess you could talk to your legal representation about providing, I guess, a, a little bit of background about what it is and what it isn't. I could share with you a paper sort of written by a colleague who steps through sort of what it is. So I think it'd be about educating them about what is known about it and its impacts. And some of that is in the Senate report and this other paper that I can I can provide. And so I guess something that would show that it's a real phenomenon, it's widely and internationally sort of recognised as a challenge there. And I guess the other thing would be think about if there's a role for a, a letter from a professional and there as well. So there's a couple of ideas. Right, and Glenn, we might get you to forward that through to yes. the CC yep. if that's okay. Yes. We'll, we'll get yeah, that figure out to everybody yep. who's attended. I think yes. what you're trying to, I, I, I'm only reading into this based on the question, yeah. but we don't want to weaponize. We don't want it to the children and their challenges to be weaponized. And I, we certainly understand that. So uh, I, getting it, getting yeah. good information. 
is yeah. uh, pretty critical. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I was coming from the perspective and answering that is in, in terms of educating those yep. involved in that process about what this is. That that was my sort of perspective and answering. And I hope that was the intention. Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much. No, that that was good. Okay, so we've got here, if the child is already engaged with a long-term psychologist to support Mm -hmm. the mental health and anxiety Mm -hmm. and the avoidance continues to escalate and they Mm -hmm. continue to increase attendance, Mm -hmm. even if the return to school plan has been developed Mm -hmm. for the child, Mm -hmm. What then? Mm, Sure. I think it would be about having a conversation with the psychologist uh, about, hey, you know, we've been going for this long and we're here. We're hoping to to be here and how are we sort of going to get to there? And is that sort of realistic, I guess, you know? So I guess each child has a different sort of pathway and parents have to make best decisions about options there. So at very first, I would go back to that psychologist or, you know, insert health professional and say, hmm, we're not quite there. Was I hoping for too much, you know, or is there another approach and have that conversation? Should we, you know, try something sort of different? I think it's, it's... you know, there's no one way forward and with this. There's no magic recipe uh, and there. So we have to keep trying. We have to have those conversations with health, health professionals and education professionals and to say, oh, hang on, you know, could, could we take stock and take a review? Yeah, and, and don't be passive in this. You don't, you know, yeah. they're relying as much on your input. Absolutely. Um, you're 24 7 <laughs> as parents. Yeah, yeah, you're the expert. Yeah. Exactly yeah. right. You're the, you are the expert in your children. I think we've had this mm. conversation before. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. so here's the next one. Is there yeah. a difference with regarding school a school avoidance and planning mm. depending on the type of school you go to? So independent school versus Catholic versus public or state yeah. school. Is it different? If it's different, do you have pointers on getting more information on policy and procedure? So the policy and procedure with regards to how they would respond? I think so, yes. Okay, yeah, sure. Look, I think it's going to vary from school to school as opposed to sector to sector. Um, certainly state governments have their policies uh, around sort of attendance. I mean, uh, I guess I can speak mostly to sort of Victoria, but go on to the you know, Google Department of Education, Victoria attendance. Uh, along those lines, you'll, you'll find sort of their policy but I think separate to that policy, if I was choosing between, uh, uh, you know, my area, an independent Catholic or, or, or state school, I'd, I'd get in touch with them. I'd, I'd ring the individual school and say, how would you go about managing this? What's your experience of supporting someone into our, uh, your school who has had challenges with school can school refusal? So I think that more individual sort of approach uh, would be the one I would take because I think there's a lot of variation between schools within systems. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's and that's certainly my experience. It's definitely, you know, some schools don't have an issue, haven't had issues with yep. that, with school refusal or school can't, although mm-hmm. I, that's changed a lot now. I think we're it certainly has seen a, an increase in it across mm-hmm. all, all schools and all sectors. So very much an individual school response. Mm. Um, To that question, though, Glenn, we had one come Mm. through earlier when people were registering, Mm. and it's about the role of the homeschool liaison officers Mm -hmm. being effective in responding to school avoidance concerns. Are they effective, Mm. do you think? Mm. As I understand it, these aren't in all states, um, um, but New South Wales I know have them. I'm not sure about other states. And so, as I understand, that 
And the aim is to connect um, family and school. I think it's sort of probably going to, I'm not aware of any research that's sort of said, well, when we have these uh, people in these sort of positions, uh, we see this sort of certain result. I don't think we're at that level yet. However, I think the principle is a sound one. The idea is a sound one. We need I think, better, stronger connections between families and schools. And I think I know there is research to show that when those, you know, there are better connections, we see better outcomes for kids, um, better attendance, better learning outcomes, more satisfaction with school there. So I think the idea is right, whether that particular professional role is the way to go. I don't know. I was was speaking to some school staff today and in their school, they had allocated the first 10 minutes after the school day was to phone parents and connect with parents. So that was a specialist sort of setting, but it showed that was baked into their model to be in touch with parents. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Davey did this amazing thing in art today. We, we, we wanted to tell you. So it's not just about, oh, we have, where are they? It's about fostering that sort of connection. I think that's super, uh, that's really sort of important. I think we are moving away from that punitive model of the, the school truancy officer. Yes. The yes, one that, that, is, yeah. that is really connecting with families and, and parents. Yeah. 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 Punitive approaches don't, don't, uh, don't work. Uh, oddly yeah. enough. Oddly enough, no. <laughs> no. And and there's still, well, some parents might be uh, surprised to hear that in many states in the US, uh, parents are put in jail, which is just I know. nonsensical for, for truancy. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah. Crazy yeah. stuff. Just, yeah. Only in America. Okay. Mm. So <laughs> what do you say to a teen who is special needs and hates the term special needs? Mm-hmm. Tell them to help them to feel less rubbish about this term and themselves. Mm, yeah, my uh, colleagues who work in uh, this area really uh, struggle with some of the terms that that I used. I, I guess I, I'm all for um, young people sort of empowering themselves and defining how they want to be defined. So I'd ask that young person how they want to be um, thought of and, you know, how they best describe themselves. And I would go with that and encourage school and uh, other professionals to use their preferred term for for describing perhaps and the way they see themselves. So throw it over to the young person. Yeah, it's, it, it is. They're the experts. Exactly. They, they know what they're feeling they for sure. Yes, yeah. Okay, so here we've got one. What should we prioritise? All right, Glenn, come on, you're on the, the button now. Okay. In semester one, my eight-year-old was only able mm-hmm. to attend school for very short periods of time mm-hmm. and managed five full days and managed five full days days. Mm-hmm. This term, he's been able to attend full days for most of the term. However, mm-hmm. he's not engaging much in schoolwork mm-hmm. while at school. Mm-hmm. Yep. Instead, okay. spending more time in the schoolyard, doing things on his own terms. Had a diagnosis of ADHD. Is it better to spend less mm-hmm. time in school but make time engaged with schoolwork or mm-hmm. is it be in the school environment for longer but not mm. be so worried about accessing the curriculum. Mm. Gee, that is a hard one to to answer with, uh, I guess, a, a, a dozen questions that have ran through my mind um, there that, that I'd perhaps really need to know um, the answer to before I could perhaps provide um, um, some advice sort of there. I guess, broadly speaking, for kids who are very anxious uh, about going to school, uh, I guess better to sort of be at school, generally speaking, um, than at home because they're 
they're being sort of in the environment that they're fearful of. And we know with support and skills that that sort of fear tends to come sort of down over time. And though I think there is something to be said if kids aren't so anxious um, but have other sort of challenges connecting with their learning, to have a positive short sort of experience, yeah, to... Uh, to have a success, successful sort of short time will then build confidence and sense of capability. I can do the work and, and you know, my teacher was proud of my efforts and, and so forth rather than a long sort of perhaps unstructured sort of day. So I'm, I'm sort of saying there's probably two answers to that. Um, and I think it would be about thinking about having an experience of success uh, and either way is important. There. So, but yeah, sorry, I can't be more specific than that. Yeah. So, so to that parent, I think it'd be good for you to discuss that with a with your professional. I think. Yes. With yes. Family. Uh, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, thank, thanks, Ben. He gave us some good pointers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, I've got um, a parent who's been putting putting various posts about the, the increase in the number of site psychology psychology visits to get appointments, allocation yeah. of 10 sessions, it's expensive, et cetera. Mm. I think we know that that's sort of ongoing, not just in this in this instance, but that is mm. for everybody who's wanting to access uh, psychology yeah. sessions. Yeah. But there is a, a specific question about the, uh, from the same person. Thank you yeah. very much for your questions. Mm-hmm. You've been, you've been mm. terrific and wonderful. Um, is there any movement or promise or possibility from the inquiry recommendations for better access to ADHD autism assessments. It's like a two-year wait list. I didn't know it was that that long, but uh, yeah, and quite think, a significant price tag. Yeah, I think it, it sort of depends depends where you are. Certainly, uh, I recognise uh, the difficulty in, in getting those uh, access to those sort of assessments and their cost. There can be sometimes subsidised or low cost options. I know some. Well, it's, I don't want to sort of set a precedent or a high bar, but some schools have been organising those sort of assessments as, as, as well. Um, sometimes university uh, clinics uh, can do them at uh, a reduced rate using a trainee who's very closely supervised. So it's, it's a, a quality uh, a report. There's a number of those. But look, th- there was an emphasis on that. In the report, I think um, certainly in um, the field, there's an awareness of the challenge in getting timely um, um, reports. I guess I would uh, sort of keep searching and keep asking uh, questions of school wellbeing staff, any other options you know of, talk to your GP, um, see if you can see a paediatrician. Sometimes that's quicker. Uh, I'm there. So those are some options. So try and be a little bit like a dog, dog with a bone, um, persistent and finding sort of uh, um, um, uh, different options. But I do recognise regional rural areas. It's it's tougher, much tougher. And certainly some of the school systems are combining resources. So if you are part of a system, I don't know whether your school is the school is part of a system, but they are certainly mm-hmm. combining resources to to provide these sort of services that are either as part of the ro- their role that they that yeah. you know, service they provide to schools or it's certainly at a subsidised rate, mm. so uh, keep asking. Um, you are mm. your 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 child's best advocate, so mm. yeah, yeah, they need you. Keep keep <laughs> keep hammering away. 
Glenn, we've actually come to the end of all sure. the questions, which I think is mm-hmm. absolutely amazing that we've we've answered all of them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, everyone, if you can thank, uh, join me in thanking Glenn Melbourne. He, Glenn has been a stalwart with VPC um, right from Monash days, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Into your new career where you are at, at Deakins. So um, we enjoy having you on and, and uh, you sharing your expertise with us. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it's thank been you. wonderful. Uh, folks, in the chat, you can see that I've put a feedback survey link in there. Uh, that is uh, really important for us because your feedback helps inform us about uh, what we might uh, plan for future uh, sessions. Uh, so we, we really do encourage you to, to complete that for us. But also this week, so this is a busy week, on Thursday, we have Evelyn Field um, now, Evelyn's a national expert in bullying, what parents can do. So it's kind of linked to some part of it, it's to what we've just been talking about tonight. Um, but uh, bullying is a is a growing, is still still very much on the on the radar for us and uh, is something that uh, she speaks eloquently about and gives parents some really good tips on how to actually help your child deal with these issues. Um, so that's on uh, 7.30 on Thursday night, uh, we, we kick off. And then we've got Deanna Dow coming back. Uh, she's got two events coming up. One is about preparing for exam day and the next one is about uh, post-school uh, choices for particularly around uh, university decisions, where, where to, what courses and so on. So there will be an email coming out with some links uh, so that you can uh, join uh, join those sessions as well. So, Glenn, once again, thank you so much. Um, we've got oh, research pleasure. coming up too. We've got research, research opportunity. I think uh, Victorian Parents Council is a community partner for the research. Do you want to just maybe give us a couple of words about that before we wrap uh, up? Yeah, we're very keen to hear from um, parents um, uh, from around Australia and their experiences of school attendance or their kids' school attendance whether it's um, whatever their experience, um, we're keen to sort of hear, we're trying to get a bit of a pulse of what's happening around uh, the country. So I think there's been a, a link sort of shared through VPC. So um, we're very pleased to be uh, um, partnering um, on this sort of project as uh, I guess the first of hopefully a, a number of sort of surveys so we can really understand um, what's needed in the community and can advocate uh, for more um, support around this issue. Fabulous. So the Senate inquiry, parliamentary inquiry was one one step. Uh, mm-hmm. We need to have really good data. So uh, if you can get behind that, that'd be great. We had lots of thank yous coming through in the chat. Yeah. And so We'll wrap it up there. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Wonderful to see such an amazing attendance tonight. Great questions. Hope you found it valuable. I certainly have. Have a good evening. Thanks, everyone. Bye now. Thank you. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? Please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic.edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sidney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening.